here we are again. Welcome to the AHA episode three. How are you today, Andy? I'm doing pretty good. And yourself? Doing good. And when I think of the AHA, it kind of makes me think of the old 80s tune, Take On Me. And I will not sing it, but man, do I love the real big fish ska cover of that song. It's a good deep cut right there. I was going to say, as soon as you said 80s, my mind exactly went to uh, their videos and their songs. So, yep, I'm I'm with you. No, and, it, and speaking of 80s, like the 80s, we're all about big hair, big shoulder pads. We're talking about big aha moments. So looking back since we last chatted, what have been some good big aha moments that you've had in your work and in, in your day-to-day life? There's quite a few of aha moments that I've had. One recently that I shared was all of us, whether it's myself as an executive working you know, over a, a global business, physicians, friends, family, others. For the most part, all of us kind of suffer from our own version of imposter syndrome. I know I was having a conversation with two people that I, I mentor and they're early on in their career and I'm much later in my career than they are. They were sharing with me, you know, some of the anxiety that they have when it comes to presenting or sharing an idea. They were talking about, you know, sort of the the stress of, you know, raising their hand in a meeting and speaking up. They shared that butterfly moment where you've got something important that you really want to say, but you start getting nervous and you start overthinking or overanalyzing. How are people going to react to your comment or your consideration or the recommendation that you want to provide to the the larger group. And my aha moment was I experienced that still yet to this day in sharing that with them to, you know, give them permission to lean into it and say, that's okay. It's not a bad thing. You just need to acknowledge it and tuck it away or figure out how to dance with it in that moment of discomfort. So that way you can get out of your own way and you can share your insight or your thought or your brilliance uh, with the, the broader group. And I think that was one of my most recent big ones is doesn't matter how long you're doing this, doesn't matter where you come from and what your education is and what your day-to-day is. We all experience our own version of imposter syndrome at various moments. Do you think that's something that might be a little more prevalent in healthcare when we place a lot of emphasis on the numbers and letters after your name and there's such a rigid hierarchy that it's it's almost daunting to speak up? I think that is definitely part of it. I think it's, you know, the, the world of medicine is very hierarchical in nature. You know, traditionally, you've got your MDs, your PhDs, your MDs, PhDs kind of sitting at the very top. And then when you start to look at the other acronyms, whether it's an RN and MSN, uh, the hierarchy sort of trickles down from there. So I, I think that's a good point. I, I think that's definitely something inside of the world of medicine that kind of is a reality. I can remember early on in my career sitting at a table with a bunch of my peers, being the youngest one at that table, and being reminded 
that, you know, I didn't have the quote unquote gray factor, meaning I hadn't been there long enough or I hadn't had enough experience or I hadn't been in a managerial or a director role long enough to be able to contribute or bring value. So I think there's a, a lot of different things that kind of go into that. I think some of it's, you know, generational. We live in a, a time that's very unique. I think this is the first time in our history in which there's five generations in the workforce all at once. Five generations, because we've got Gen Z, millennials, Gen X, boomers. Are there still people in the workforce, greatest generation? Um, I don't know. Or would the fifth one be whatever's after Gen Z? I think it's whatever's after Gen Z. So I guess they're, they're in high school now. Huh. That's wild to think about. Mm-hmm. Sorry, that, that blows my mind. And with five generations in the workforce, you have with so much culture that has shifted in those five generations, five very different motives, incentives, worldviews, work ethics, none that are bad, just they're just different. I think it's, you know, multifactorial in the fact that you've got teams of people that have been working in one domain or in multiple domains with a ton of just expertise and experience. What happens when that emergency happens? What happens when this outlier happens? When those things that are unexpected occur, the teams with you know the most experience have a greater likelihood or a higher probability of going through that, you know, not just once, but multiple times. And not only in simulation, but in front of a patient when time matters, when a diagnosis matters, when a life is on the line. So I think, you know, from an experience and a domain expertise perspective, I think there's a lot of knowledge and we need to figure out how to unleash that and how to harness it and how do you, you know, scale, which isn't necessarily a word I like to use all the time. But in this instance, how do we scale that expertise? How have you seen that impact the way that medicine works in your world? What are some advantages that you can harness with having such a diverse workforce in in your area or in your department? I think I've seen pockets of it. Earlier, just mentioned about mentorship and, you know, that's one of the things is sort of a mentor-mentee that we try and work through is how can I help them based on what's interesting to them and where they are sort of in their current professional and personal role. And for me, it's about learning how they think about things. How how are they approaching life events? How are they approaching problems? In pockets like that, it, it happens. I think I'm starting to see like some conferences use sessions or specific talks. I know the American College of Radiology, their annual meetings coming up at the, the end of the month and they always have a couple of sessions on like social media tools and personal branding and things like that are really good because again, You've got people with deep domain expertise that have been in the field for a very long time 
are sharing their sort of expertise and and their experience with 50, 100, 300 people in a room. And at the same time, you can get people that are earlier on in their career talk about tools and different things that they're using and and sharing that knowledge as well. No, I think you illustrate a good point that we see culturally right now is that people who have the experience have a lot to offer. And then there is that kind of meme or joke about baby boomers can't create a PDF or open a PDF. And there is need and help and expertise in that reverse mentorship model where you can help teach those who have the experience how to use new tools that may really increase productivity or make their lives easier. I remember helping a person out with a web design working at a healthcare system as a client and I was showing her something and she was taking screenshots of a web of a website so that they could do some markups and notations. And I showed her, oh, there's an extension that you can get for your web browser that'll just take the whole screenshot. And she said I saved her three hours of work that day because she would spend and use Microsoft Paint to stitch together all these screenshots, but had no idea that web browser extensions existed or that you could even just click a button and take a screenshot of the entire page from top to bottom. And those little things I think are just super valuable that just that knowledge is untapped and underutilized because I think a lot of people just don't know what they don't know or didn't even think to ask those questions yet. Yeah, I mean, I I think you're spot on about not understanding or having an idea of, yeah, this is the, the question that, you know, I should be asking and I haven't asked. And sometimes it's, I don't want to ask the question because I don't want people to think I'm stupid or ignorant or I'm asking a basic question and people are going to think, well, why is he in the role that he's in? Mm, That's a good point because there is a burden of confidence needed for some roles. And it took me many years to get over pretending to know everything and being okay with asking, I have no idea what that acronym means or what does that what does that term mean? Because I've heard it used in different ways. I've I've read some leadership books where good leaders know when to ask questions because they know that they don't know it all. And that should be okay. Maybe that's a cultural thing to work on. Yeah, I, I think it's a, a fair point. I mean, usually if I got a question, uh, I did it, you know, a few n- nights ago with you. Hey, AJ, this isn't working. Can, can you give me some guidance or help? So for me, ask a lot of questions. Depending on the situation, sometimes I'll preface before I ask the conversation to remind everyone that maybe this isn't my formal education or this isn't my domain expertise. So forgive the basic question, but I'm going to ask it anyways because that's how I'm going to learn. But I think it's taken me time personally to kind of be okay asking really basic questions that most people might already know. And I think I've gotten okay with it because I'm comfortable in who I am and I know that's the way that I learn. But I also realize that more often than not, the question that I'm asking is probably a question that at least somebody else in the the room or in the meeting has as well. So how have you personally encapsulated that with the culture of where you work? Because it, it, it needs to kind of be a top-down implementation where if the people at top are making it okay to ask questions or making it okay, then it, it creates a good culture to say that. How outside of being in meetings and being, okay, you know, I may have missed this, but I'm going to ask. What are some ways that you've seen successfully implement 
building curiosity and, and being okay with asking those questions with people on your teams or in your department? I think there's a, a couple of different ways. One, because I lead a, a marketing team, um, the role from my perspective, the role of marketing is to understand your customer as best as you possibly can. I have the advantage because I started as a customer and half of my career has been as a customer. So the way customers think about things, I've got a, a little bit of a advantage over others on my team. But I share that insight with my team and, and I encourage my team to spend time in front of customers, spend time in a hospital when, you know, your friend or family member is going for an appointment, go and, you know, be observant, see what's going on. Think in terms of what are you seeing? If you're seeing what somebody's doing, can you try and put yourself in their shoes to think about maybe what's going on in their mind? And can you think of from an empathy perspective, like what are they feeling at that given moment? And so that's, you know, a tool and one of the ways that we sort of encourage each other on on my team to lean in and ask questions. The other thing is, is my team is very aware that I'm very transparent. I share sometimes maybe a little too much where I will remind my team that, yes, I know there's a lot going on. Yes, I know that there's a lot of pressure to sort of meet our expectations and meet our priorities and deliver on our commitments. But at the same time, sometimes you have to pause and sometimes you have to push back and sometimes you have to start something, but you have to stop one or two other things in order to do that. And those are the types of questions that I like to ask is, okay, so we're, we're going to do more of this, but what are you going to give up in order to enable that? Which oftentimes is sort of met with, I didn't think of that, or I'm not really sure, or let me go think about it and come back to you with a, a response. And that's a good canned answer to not know it all is, that's a great question. Let me, let me think about it or let me find out. We're really pressured to know it all right away. And thankfully, we can just Google it real quick. <laughs> yeah. And my team also knows that I'm not a person that likes to react in the moment and come up with an answer or a response just to have one because I feel like I should because I'm uh, somebody that is in a leadership position. I'm more of the type of to say, I don't know the answer or I don't have a good response. Give me a period of time and I'll work on it and I'll come back to you with a, a response. And so I've tried to build sort of that culture of like safety and transparency and showing here's my vulnerabilities and here's my Achilles heel as an individual and as a person. And that's okay because as a team collectively, we make up where somebody else is, is weak. And because of that, I, I think we've got a, a pretty good dynamic of people can ask questions and people can push back and we can challenge one another. And it allows us to grow and, and be a closer team. And that's very evident with just human nature. And I think, you know, you wouldn't have the Justice League or the Avengers if 
you know, one individual could do it all. Even though Superman's pretty awesome, there's still things he needs help with. And understanding your own weaknesses is okay. I think there's, and maybe this is an American culture thing because you've been all around the world too. We, we have a, a definite sense of wanting to have an outward appearance of having all of our stuff together, having it all figured out. And the truth is, as we've become adults, you and I together at the same time, we've realized, oh no, we're, we're all making it up as we go. We're just, we're just doing the best we can. And I think it's that, that idea that mentality is slowly shifting to being okay and open and honest with that to say, I don't know it all. Uh, and I'll freely admit, like there are areas where I need help. And that's why I try to find people to help because you can't do it all. And that is just, you know, even Sheryl Sandberg, when she did her whole book about leaning in and how women can have it all and do it all, even kind of came back and had to walk back a few things like, yeah, when you're rich enough to have your own nutritionist, your babysitter, your au pair, your, you know, exercise gym coach, you know, yes, you can lean in and do it all because you can pay for all of these things to be taken care of where as a normal person has to do all of that themselves and they don't have that time. So that to me, the, the team ethic and the team mentality is, is great because we we see success in healthcare and in medicine work having those multidisciplinary teams in place because people will ask questions that you would never even think of. You're right. Uh, you know, it's I think even, you know, in terms of, you know, people that are listening to this podcast, you know, as an example, or people that, you know, read the content that's written under, you know, Cancer Geek. That's always been one of the struggles that I've had is I want to be authentic in all content all the time is all me. But then when I pivot and I look at other leaders, whether it's in the medical industry or I look outside in technology or pop culture, you realize that it's not just one person that's doing it. There's like, there's a team of people behind them doing, you know, video editing and audio editing and creating memes and taking pictures and writing content and put like there's so much that like goes behind that and you've you've been my partner in crime for years on a lot of this stuff and i think it's finally at this point in time in which i'm okay leaning on other people to help but i still need to make sure that when it's all said and done that it's still my words and my message and my thought processes that are kind of encapsulating all of that. But again, it's also about accepting the fact that I need a team and I need people to help me in order to make that happen. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you think of some of the famous, most famous podcasters on any platform, and it's not just that singular person you hear. There's at least a team of three to four people behind. And that's not even including if they're part of a network of podcasts or if they're part of a, a grander group of people that produce multiple podcasts, like a co-op. So at the bare minimum, you know, just to get it all done, you need a team 
to help because there's so much that needs to be done. And I think that's where taking it back to curiosity and mentorship in medicine, knowing that you may have been in, in this role, in this position for 30 to 40 years, things change and you might have missed something and there might be a better way to do something that you didn't even know about or hear about. And for myself, I always find something that I'm like, oh my gosh, there's this tool that's been out for a year that I could have saved all of this time and effort. I, I've been video editing for a decade now and I was six or seven years into it before I realized that there was a tool to draw guides in your source monitor, just like in Photoshop and Illustrator to drag ruler lines. And I'm sitting there like, I am such an idiot. How did I not know that that was like, it's all Adobe, but I didn't even think that there could be rulers to help do guides and seven years. I'm like, this could have saved me so much time over those seven years, but I didn't even think to think about it or stop to ask until I found some random article. Well, it's the same thing. I am now huge proponent of Otter and Notion, but again, two tools I never would have known about or if I even would have came across it, probably would not have tried. But because of your brilliance and encouragement, I've started to try them and play with them. And now I'm like, oh my gosh, this makes my life so much easier. Why wasn't I leaning in and trying this and using this? Uh, and now I think about how can I use this in you know, the rest of my professional work. So... So maybe that's a way for people listening to generate their own aha moments is how do we schedule time to be curious, to go explore something new? Because you had Otter for a while, but it took the time to stop your daily routines to just look at it, give it a try and kick the tires to go, holy cow, this is really valuable. Yeah. And I think it's those micro moments. So I am friends with another leader and we were talking and I was sharing about on the weekends I, I read and I've tried different ways of taking notes. Um, it used to be, you know, you'd highlight something in a book and then you'd write down like a note in the margin. And then I kind of moved to, you know, note cards and kind of creating my own version of not quite Dewey Decimal, but something similar to that. And now I've completely sort of revamped that into a different way of doing it in which I, you know, have a small little pocket notebook that I write, you know, any note from a book that I'm reading and one notebook per book. And, you know, when I'm done, I sort of write and then I catalog it and put it away. But it's very easy for me to like go back and sort of flip through it and get key quotes or messages or different things. But somebody that I work with said, wow, you know, that's, that's really great. But why do you do it on the weekend? Like, why don't you do that during the week? And I said, because I'm working. And they shared with me that they schedule like three hours on a Monday every week or every other week that they just read. Like, that's what they do. They read, whether it's competitive intelligence or something else like that, like, that's what they do. I kind of had this aha moment of, aha, I can actually schedule that. Like, 
I can give myself permission to put it on my calendar. Why haven't I thought of that before? That's that's interesting. It's giving yourself permission to to give yourself time. And I think that's the one thing that I've been wrestling with over the last few years is I have to be protective of my time because that's all we have. And it can easily go down the rabbit hole, which I've seen the last year where you can get really sucked into like doom scrolling on a social media app or getting stuck in, in a, a game or a, or a TikTok or something. But I'm purposely blocking time for the things I want to make priority for. Maybe that's the aha moment to share with everyone is take time to block a half an hour, an hour here and there to be curious, to explore something new. You know, Notion's a great tool. Maybe you should check it out. Use it as your second brain. I'm building a whole knowledge database. Everything that I, all the articles online I save that, oh, here's a great tip for building a website on WordPress. Here's a cool uh, idea hack for ADHD. Here's something about CSS that Oh, I use this in a website. I should save this for later in case I ever need to use it again. You know, keep it there. And I do the same thing with books. I highlight things. So I keep in Notion. I have um, all of the books I've read here, all the things that I've highlighted, any notes, and it's all in a searchable database for me. So it's it's easy to find again. Take that time to be curious and block that time off and, and keep it almost sacred and holy. So I think there's two things as far as aha moments. One is... How do you either schedule the moment so you can be curious or how do you use other moments to be curious? So what do I mean by that? So we were talking about Otter. So people that are unfamiliar with what Otter is, it's basically a voice to speech app in which you can talk and it types exactly what you've said. And then you can go back and you can edit it and you can share the audio file. So for me, it was always like this weird thing of, well, when am I gonna use it and, and whatnot? So when did I start to try it? when I'm in the car, because I've got drive times often of, you know, 60, 90 minutes. And so one day I just opened it up as I was driving and started to talk into it. And for three minutes, I was able to like talk. And when I stopped later on, I went back and I read through what I had just you know, said in the car. And I was really impressed. I was impressed at how good the voice recognition was and how easy it was for me to go in and edit. And then it just became this thing where I'm comfortable when I'm in the car that I can use the app and I can talk to myself. For me, it was using sort of this time in which I have to be doing it, but I can do something for myself at, at the same time and explore that. And it feels a little bit safer than walking around my house or an airport or something else. People might start calling authorities to be like, yeah, the guy sounds kind of weird. He's talking to himself over in the corner there. Exactly. So are there micro moments in our days in which we can use to, to explore something? So that's kind of the first one. And I think the second aha moment is to what you said earlier, how do we give ourselves permission? And I would say for anyone that's listening, 
if you can't give yourself permission to schedule a moment to explore and be curious and be creative and use it for discovery, then let this moment right now between AJ and I be where we give you the permission to go out and find 30 minutes tomorrow that you're going to schedule and set aside and make sacred to do your own exploration and discovery of something new. Absolutely. I think that's a great way to end today's podcast is make time to be curious, explore. So I'm going to I'm going to test something that you and I have been working on in order to coincide with this as our ending. You know, I, I kind of said, hey, there's a few things that I want to do with each of our podcasts as we invite more people on here so that there's a commonality between them. Uh, so one of them is, you know, what is the aha? So we've kind of talked about that. But the other thing is, is a rapid fire session. So this is how I want to end today's podcast. So I'm going to do rapid fire session with you. So I'm going to give you some choices on a couple of things and just tell me what your choice or your response is. Um, so here we go. Okay. Coffee or tea? Coffee in the morning, tea the rest of the day. Pepsi or Coke? Neither. Water. Do you prefer sparkling or flat? Flat, iced. Surf or turf? I'm a turf kind of guy. Gotcha. Plane or train? Ooh. Having lived in Japan, I love the train, especially riding the Shikansen. That was insane. Planes for America, trains for everywhere else. Derek, I, I would agree with that as well. Uh, Sonic the Hedgehog or Mario Brothers? Oh, don't don't do that. No. I just I just took the kids to see Sonic 2 the other weekend and it was awesome. <laughs> I grew up with both, but as far as the consoles I've owned, I've had Mario more in my house. But I do have a Raspberry Pi right now that I created a video game emulator, so I've got both on it right now. Sweet. Backpack or briefcase? Backpack. Phone or text? Phone. I like I like talking to people. There you go. Uh, typing or voice to text? Voice to text. Podcast or music? Ooh, music. Sports car or truck? Neither. Cars Cars have never been... I like cars. I like watching Top Gear back in the day with the original three. But outside of that, cars are utilitarian to me. Got it. Meetings. Camera on or camera off? Off. All right, now we're gonna now we're gonna get into my territory. Healthcare or medicine? Medicine. Imaging or pharmaceuticals? Can't we have both? Hey, it's it's your world, so you can build it however you like. Telehealth or in-person exam? Ooh, I guess it depends on what the exam is. I've benefited from telehealth during the pandemic and up to today very well, especially with dealing with my psychiatrist. I enjoyed not having to go to my healthcare system when I can do it over the telehealth app because it's just a waste to do that. But if it's a physical exam in person, obviously. Physicians or doctor? When I hear those words, it's, it's a blurred line between the two, but I like physician because it conjures up the image of the old school home visit with the black bag and the stethoscope with that personal touch. 
physicians or artificial intelligence? I think fundamentally we make technology work for us and if artificial intelligence can help a physician be better, then by all means use it. It should never replace a physician, but it should definitely enhance and enable them to be better at what they do. I like it. If you were the leader of a nation, what would be the one rule? I think the one rule is it's not a political statement to care for one another. That's just good policy for a nation. That's so simplistic, but yet so deep. I, I like it. If you are what you eat, what are you? A bowl of oatmeal for this morning. But usually, um, you know, fairly, fairly plant-based, little meat, and the occasional vegan donut from our local vegan restaurant. Last but not least, you might have to like bleep this out, but your favorite swear word. You know what, I'll say my favorite swear word is the Japanese swear word, kuso, which can translate from anything to shoot or mother you know, depending on the context, and I, I love it. Awesome. So that's the rapid fire. Yeah, I like it. It reminds me of the actor's studio. Exactly. That's where I borrowed the idea from. Well, maybe next time we should talk about how you steal like an artist, which was a wonderful book to read, which again goes back to giving yourself permission to do the things that you need to do. And maybe if we do it right, maybe, maybe we can get Austin Cleon to join us as well. Perfect. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Andy. And this was wonderful. And I can't wait to talk again and have a guest. As always, AJ, I appreciate all your time, attention for those that are listening, yours as well. And remember, everything that we do is about the human touch. And so when you do it, please do it at the end of one.